Fantastic. I'm going to pray, then we'll get straight into this morning's message. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your word. We thank you that, Jesus, you came, that we would have life and life to the full. And this morning, as we look at your word, Father, I pray that you would speak to each one of us. We open our hearts to hear from you. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would um, minister to each and every one of us and bring something fresh, something new, something that brings freedom and life and um, uh, yeah, strength to our lives. And we give you glory and honor and praise this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we're starting a new series, just a four-week series that we're going to look at um, grace and the grace of God. Um, but just before I go into that, just a reminder that that doesn't mean that what has gone before we now just forget and move on to the next thing. We can't stay on the same thing over and over and over again, though sometimes it would feel like it would be good to do that. But as we move from one theme to another of what God, we feel God is speaking to us about... It's not that we now finish that and we put that on a shelf and we, we forget about it. That, that's there so that we can build on that as we move forward. And so the things that we've been looking at over the last few months in 1 Corinthians 12 and, and all of those things, that's for us to live out. It's not something that's just a series that's gone on and finished, but actually something that is a foundation that we can build on and continue to live expectant in. So rather than put that to one side, allow it to continue to build in our lives. And so today we're going to start by looking at the foundations of grace, what grace is, maybe one or two things of what it isn't, but what mainly what grace is. And, and um, I think it's an incredibly important topic uh, just because it is foundational to our faith. It's foundational to how we live our lives. But also if you think of it in terms of, and you'll see as we go through this, in terms of what we've just looked at with the gifts of the Spirit and the uh, manifestations of the Holy Spirit, and we actually need to understand the grace of God that we can live in that with freedom and power and joy as well. Um, and so it's not something that we get burdened or weighed down by. But um, grace clearly points to Jesus, and so that's always a good place to start. But it also has huge impacts on our lives. And I'm aware that often when we speak in, in, in Christian terms or in, in, in these kind of contexts about grace, depending on people's experiences will depend on how they respond. Some think, well, they're very cautious because a lot has been said that probably is a, taking it a bit too far. And others think, well, that actually, that's nothing to do with me and, 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 uh, and I'm quite happy where I am. But also sometimes people contrast grace and the law as if they're two opposites. And we'll see that in, in a bit. Um, and, and that is partly but not fully But hopefully as we look at this, we will build some biblical foundations that bring freedom, that bring life, that brings joy to our our lives. And also when we speak of grace, it's not like you say grace or being gracious to someone. I think there's an element of that. There's the outworking of what we've received, we extend to others. But when we look at the grace of God, it's not about... I don't know, if we say someone's gracious, they often mean that they're elegant and poised. And it's not that at all. That, that's just a, a different term of grace that we use in, in our lives as, uh, as those who speak English. But it's not that at all. And so I want to start by looking at what the law is before we look at what grace is. It's not a teaching on the law, but we need to point some things out as we go forward. We need to understand that the law is in the law of Scripture, and the Old Testament law was good. 
and it comes from God. That's what Scripture tells us. But what it also tells us in Galatians 3 is that it was put in charge that we would be led, it would lead us to Christ, who justifies us by faith. You see, the law was put in place and was good and is from God, but it is powerless to save us. The law was put in place by God so it would lead us to him. And before Jesus, it was put in charge so that we would actually be able to get to live right and therefore God can declare us righteous. But the thing is that none of us can ever live in that way. It exposes our weakness and our ingrained propensity to sin and walk away from God rather than making us righteous. But it says that the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. So it exposes what we are. And so because of us, every single one of us, born with a sinful nature, but also failing on many accounts to fulfill the law, it's impossible that God, through the law, could declare us righteous. And so he made a way that through Jesus, we can do that. He can do that. What we see in Scripture is that when we live outside of grace, when we live outside of the, the work of the cross that, and grace that comes through Jesus, we still stand under the law. We still stand and having to face judgment from God and the consequences of our choices. And so we're bound by those things. But God has made a way by sending his son Jesus, that we can live in freedom and in the grace of God. You see, grace comes through Jesus. Jesus lived a perfect life. He fulfilled the law. So on our behalf, he faced death on our behalf. He took on himself our sin and the sin of mankind and paid the price that we owed. Scripture tells us that he conquered sin and death. And the grave couldn't hold him. And as we put our faith in Jesus, then we live our life through and we receive the grace of God. And we'll look at what that means in a minute. We can then live free because Jesus fulfilled the law on our behalf. He paid the price on our behalf. He paid for sin on our behalf. He stood and faced the wrath and the judgment of God on our behalf. So what the law was powerless to do, Jesus did. And so for us who follow him, we then receive by grace, through faith, our salvation and the freedom that comes from God. Grace was powerless to do what the law I mean, powerful to do what the law was powerless to do. And so that we who now live saved, live righteously in him. You see, before the law, we had to try, before the grace, we had to try and live according to the pattern of, uh, of the law. To try and do everything right so that God would declare us righteous. It was to prove that we were worthy. And we know we fail and we're not. But because of Jesus and the grace of God that is all fulfilled, and now we live righteously, not to prove we are worthy, 
but because He has made us worthy. And that's where Scripture says that grace empowers us to live a righteous life. And we're going to look at empowering grace next week. But the basis of, uh, on, the, on that basis of grace and the fact that we are declared righteous based on what Jesus did for us on the cross means that God, without compromising His holiness, without compromising His perfection, declares us righteous because Jesus has fulfilled it all. Jesus has done it all. And as we put our faith in Him, He applies that to us. And we clothed in His blood and His love. And, and the work of the cross is made complete in us. Does that make sense? And so when we actually, uh, the, the result of that is that the grace of God sets us free, but also the grace of God empowers us to live free as he's called us be, to be. So I want to look at how do we define grace before we go any further. Some have defined it like this, that grace is the unmerited favor of God. Which is good, but I think there's a, 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 a better explanation of what it is. Psalm 103, verse 8 and verse 9 speak about God not treating us as our sins deserve. If you turn, if you have your Bibles, Psalm 103, verse 8 says, well, I mean, before it goes on a whole lot of stuff about God and praising Him and as He forgives us our sin and heals us of all our diseases. But verse 8, it says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. And verse 10, He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. See, the gospel is good news because grace is God not treating us as our sins deserve. But it doesn't stop there. See, we sang a song this morning that says, Grace and mercy found me. Grace and mercy are very similar, sometimes used interchangeably. Mercy, you could say, is not being treated as we deserve. Grace is not just not being treated as we deserve, but he gives us what we do not deserve, which is the righteousness of Christ. That's why the gospel is such good news. If you think about it, and this is a, a, a I heard this the other day, it's a really powerful statement that Jesus did not receive what he deserved so that we could receive what we do not deserve. Grace is that God doesn't treat us how our sins deserve because Jesus carried that for us. But he gives us what we do not deserve, which is everything that we have in Jesus. That is righteousness, love, acceptance. That's the grace of God. It's unearned. So that's why if you say it's his unmerited favor, that speaks of the fact that it is unearned. You can't earn the grace of God. You can't earn your salvation. You can't earn the acceptance of God. It comes as a free gift through Jesus that we receive by faith when we put our lives in his hands and declare him as our Lord and Savior. 
And therefore, in that, we are, the scripture calls it being justified, that we are made righteous and holy before him. He has justified us. We stand before him clothed in the blood of Jesus. That is the work of the cross. That is the work of the grace of God does that. It is a gift. You cannot earn it. Where, and the law meant that you had to try and do things to receive righteousness and justice. Grace comes. It's given when we respond and receive it from him. You could say it this way. Law says this. I will carry my side and bless you if you carry your side. But if you don't, you'll face a curse. That's what the law says. There's curses and blessings. You read them in Deuteronomy. Grace says this. I will carry my side. Then I will come and carry your side. And I will treat you as if you carried it yourself. So before, where we think we have to do all these things to prove our, our worth and acceptance from God, and we fail miserably every time. God, through his son Jesus, said, I will make a way that I will carry that and accept you as my children when you turn to me and put your faith in me. And I will treat you not as your sin deserves, but I will treat you because how I will give you what you do not deserve and I will treat you as I treat my son with love and acceptance. That's what is called justification. We don't have to do anything to gain or maintain the love and acceptance of God or our salvation. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of who God is and what Jesus has done. And when we understand that, it brings freedom. It brings joy. It brings security. Because God doesn't treat you as you deserve. And he gives you what you do not deserve. Romans chapter 7 describes it in a different way. If you want to read Romans 6, Romans 7, Romans 8, and Galatians, all speaks about this. But Romans 7 from verse 1, it says this, Do you not know, brothers... For I am speaking to you as men who know the law, that the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives. For example, by the law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So then if she marries another while her husband is alive, she is called an adulteress. But if, she, but if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is no longer adulteress, even though she marries another man. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you may belong to another, to him who is raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful, nature, uh, the sinful passions aroused by the law would work in our bodies, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have also been released from the law, so that we will serve in a new way by the Spirit, and not the old way of the written code." What he's saying there is explaining what happens at salvation. He's using the parallel in the analogy of the law and of marriage. So when you are married, you, by law, you can't, like he says, if you marry someone else while your husband is alive, or you, uh, then, then you're an adulteress. But if he dies, then you're free from that and you're allowed to marry. In the same way, we are, he, he uses that analogy to show in a, in a way we married to the law. 
And the law is perfect. And the law will not die. It will not pass away. And we can't do anything about that. And so he's saying what happens here, because this is what he uses this analogy, he says, we then have to die. We die to the law through Christ. And, and that's represented in our baptism. We, we die and are buried with him. So we die to our old life. We die to that and we are raised again in Christ Jesus. And that's why he says, and we married to another. Jesus. That's why scripture speaks about the church as the bride. and who is So he uses this analogy. Once you are married to the Lord, the old way, the old covenant, and the only way you can get free from that is to die through our salvation where we submit ourselves to him and we die to our old self and are risen again in Jesus. That's why scripture speaks about it being born again. And we are born again not to live under the old law, but we're born again now and we live by grace in relationship with Jesus in the freedom that we have for him, from him, accepted, loved, and secure. That's what happens at salvation. That's the grace of God. And the only way we can overcome living by the law is dying, being buried with Jesus, and made alive again in him. Saved. We are born again through him. So the finished work of the cross speaks about our position in Christ. Our position before God, which is accepted, forgiven, justified, loved. And that, in theological terms, is justification. And when that happens now, everything changes. Everything changes. First and foremost, you don't have to work to prove your worth to God by rules and regulations. Because you are loved and accepted and forgiven. But it doesn't end there. Because that's the work of the cross. But the continued work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, which is called the process of sanctification, now begins. And we will cover this more of this next week. But God loves you too much to leave you in the same state that you were in when he accepted you and saved you. That's why it's not biblically correct or sound. And it was common in Paul's day because we see he's addressed it, which is why we're looking at it next week. When it says, well, then should we just carry on sinning because then we prove grace to be more? He says, no way at all. Actually, the grace of God empowers us to live differently through the work of the, uh, through Jesus and the Holy Spirit working in our lives that we become more and more like Him. He, he, uh, so uh, I, I mustn't go there because that's next week's one, but there's so much that we live in with this battle of people saying, well, I'm not under law, I'm under grace, and I can do all of this stuff, and that's wrong. Because everything changes when you come to Him, everything changes. Before you came to him, you were judged according to the law. You had to prove. You've got no option. But when you come to him, you set free from that through Jesus. And now you are completely saved, accepted, loved. And now you can live as he's called you to live because you are set free. You see, when we think of law and we think the opposite of law is grace, we actually are deceived. Sorry to say that. 
Because the opposite to law is not grace. The opposite to law, you can use one of these three words. You can either use licentiousness or antinomianism or you can use positional sacrifice. So I'll explain what those mean because let me find where they are because I'm now completely in the wrong part of my notes. But um, so you've got these two sets. The opposite of law is not grace. You've got licentiousness, which is living how you want to live regardless of the law, which is very much the same as antinomianism, which is living without regard for the law. So if we live a licentious life, that's what Paul was addressing to the Corinthians, where this one was sleeping with his father's wife, and that one was doing this and doing whatever they like, because actually I'm all, I'm under grace, and I don't have to do anything about that, and I can just live like I want to live. That's licentious living. It's ungodly. It's not how we call to live. Antinomianism is the same kind of thing where you think, well, actually it's, I'm, I'm, I live outside of the bounds of law and I don't care about those things. It's a rejection of law. And situational, sorry, situational ethics, not situational sacrifice. Situational ethics is, well, it all depends on the situation. So in this situation, this response will be acceptable. In that situation, that response will be acceptable. And it's so varied, it's, it's like what the world lives in. Because in some situations, I think, well, it's acceptable for me to break the law in this way. Let me use a silly example. It's, it's acceptable for me to break the law speeding if I'm late for a very important meeting, but it's not acceptable for me to murder someone. Both, both are laws. One situation doesn't make it ethically better than the other. They, you just break the law. You see, that's the opposite. The law and licentiousness, antinomianism, ethical situational ethics someone described it brilliantly like this grace if you have those two polar opposites grace is like the magnet that draws us to the center of freedom and that's where we live the freedom that comes through the grace of God to live as he's called and created us to live. Being able to say no to ungodliness because he's given us the power and the ability to. Not having to earn our acceptance or love from him. We have freedom. You see, when we think those two are the opposites, or we think law and grace are the opposites, we're always in this fight. And we contend, if we understand that, we then tend to think, well, I'm either going to... Well, you see, we, we live in a world that rarely drums into us that we need to prove our acceptance and our worth by our accomplishments and by what we can and can't do. You just think of it. Every, if, I think I've spoken about it before. If you, if you write your, your CV and your personal statement... It's to big yourself up to prove that you're good enough. The world tells you from a very young age, and unfortunately it creeps into households, it creeps into the church, that in order to prove that you are of value or of worth, you have to do something. Achieving. Achieve this, achieve that. Got this status, got that, you got that promotion. That then proves that you're valuable, proves that you're worth. And, and some, if, we, if we're not careful, that then seeps into our relationship with God. And we think that we have to prove something to him. 
That's what it means to live by the law. But we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus and set free from that so you don't have to prove anything to God anymore. He accepts you. He loves you. But he loves you too much to say, well, that's it. You can't do You can just do what you like. You see, when we understand the grace of God, that we're accepted and loved by him, and we can do nothing to change that, then we understand that even the discipline and the correction of God is an expression of his grace and his love because he doesn't want us to stay like we are. But he wants us to grow in him, grow in maturity, grow in godliness, go in right, so that we become and live more like he's called us to live, to reflect him more, so that others, when they encounter us, see him. You see, that's why next week's preach on the empowering grace is so important. But we need to get the beginning right, which is we are saved by grace through faith. What the law was powerless to do, Jesus did. Grace means that we can come before him because we are accepted and loved and he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. And if we think that only refers to the moment of salvation, so that when we got saved we understood that we, our lives before were sinful and everything else and now he's forgiven us, then, and then we accept him and then we carry on going and then we suddenly think, What about the sin that I committed since I got saved? God still doesn't treat you as you deserve because you're in Jesus. But at the same time, he doesn't let that go. He requires repentance, which is a change, 180 degrees, confession, repentance, humility. He requires that we grow in him and do change. But not for our acceptance and love but so that we can live in the freedom of what it means to live in an unhindered relationship with the Father. That's the grace of God. You see, and as believers, we, the whole thing about the, the, we have to prove, we have to, uh, our worth, but it can so easily creep in. What about the days that you don't feel that spiritual? could be any number of reasons. Or maybe you didn't read your Bible as much today as you did yesterday. Or you forgot to pray about that, or you didn't pray. And then suddenly the accuser of the brethren, who is the, 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 the Satan, the enemy, comes and starts having a go. You see, you, you've, you didn't do enough. You're not good enough. And then we suddenly we respond in one of a couple of ways. Either we respond by saying, well, I've tried, this this doesn't work, I'm just going to give up, why try it all? I'll just do whatever. Or we swing the other way and think, well, I need to prove, I need to do, so I'm going I'm to get up, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set my alarm clock for this time every morning, now I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to read three chapters a day, and, I'm gonna, and maybe you do it for three days. I'm not saying we don't have spiritual disciplines. We have to. We need to. We need to live spiritually disciplined lives and grow in all those things. But we do it with the freedom. So actually, I know that if I forget to pray about a certain thing, God is gracious because I live in his grace. So I don't beat myself up. 
I come before him and say, God, I forgot. Please help me. You see, and we can live in the freedom of what that means. Rather than you have to, you have to, you have to. We don't have to to get approval or salvation or love. But we should want to because we can and we have the freedom to. And we want to become more like him. We want to walk obedient. We, we want to experience his presence. Because we're accepted. Because we're loved. Because Jesus has paid the price. We can live in that way. But we have to come from the start point that our position in God comes through Jesus by grace. Not by works. Not by achievement. Not by self-righteous acts. The Bible says even those our righteous acts are like filthy rags in comparison. That doesn't come from all of that stuff. It comes as a gift from God when we respond in faith to Jesus and surrender our lives and we die and are raised again in him. Free to walk in relationship with our creator because we are loved, accepted by him. That's our position. The condition of our daily living is a different story that we're going to cover next week because God still, you know when we say that when God looks at us, he sees the blood of his son. That's true. But it's not the whole truth. It's true because he sees us covered in the blood of his son when it comes to our acceptance and love and our salvation. But God knows the condition of your life today. He knows what you did yesterday or this morning. Or He's not foolish. He knows those things. Yet at the same time, he doesn't treat you any differently. And by the power of his spirit and grace, next week's preach, he enables us to live as we should so that our condition changes. But if we focus so much on our current condition, we forget our position in him, we can then so easily lose track of his grace. Paul writing to the Galatians, I think it's in Galatians 3, says, who has bewitched you? You were following after God and grace. Did you receive your salvation by the law or by faith? It comes from him. And so as we, we embark on this series, we need to understand the beginning. That we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, but he gives us what we do not deserve. Jesus received what he did not deserve so that you could receive what you, do, what you don't deserve. That's the grace of God. So my encouragement to you is live in the freedom of that grace.
Live in the freedom and the delight that if you are in Christ Jesus, if you are saved, you are free from the law of sin and death. You are free from the old covenant, but you are now, and scripture, and this might seem a contradiction, it's not at all, that you are now a slave to righteousness because we belong to him. You have died to the old husband of the law and you, that could not help that would not lift a finger, that was always right, that was never going to die, you've died to that in Christ Jesus and you now live married to the new husband who is Jesus, who is perfect and does help, does empower, does change. Does that make sense? But that's why the gospel is good news. Because we justified by Jesus through him. And so let's live with that as a deep-rooted, secure starting point. And so that as God, through his spirit, corrects, encourages, strengthens, requires change, we do it and we don't suddenly panic and think we've lost acceptance. We do it because actually it proves that we are his children and are loved. It proves that we are accepted by him because he doesn't want us to stay the same. He loves us too much. But we live in the freedom. Remember, the opposite of law is not grace. The opposite of law is licentiousness, antinomianism, all that stuff. Grace is like the magnet that pulls us to the middle of freedom where we don't live like that but equally we don't have to prove like that we live loved and accepted in the freedom that comes through Christ not necessary to prove our worth to God because we are valued because of Jesus I thought it would be good this morning because all of that starts with salvation that we would end I know we don't normally do communion at the end of a meeting but this morning I thought it would be right to do it at the end because Jesus says when he broke bread with his disciples that they were to to break bread in remembrance of him and to do it regularly and so the breaking of bread or the communion is his body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us because he took on himself and paid the price for us so that we could have freedom and life and forgiveness and be justified and so as we come together the body of Christ and the blood of Christ is a reminder of what was done on the cross it should also be a reminder that he continues to work in our lives that we remind ourselves that we live in the grace of God through the blood of Jesus every day and it should also be a reminder of what is yet to come that one day he's coming back for us, his bride. And so, Rob, I wonder if you can put some just background music on, but why don't you come and get some juice and some bread and then have communion in... It's a, we do this together. So whether it's families or home groups or rows or whatever, find someone or find a few other people just to break bread with. And if you have a need that you'd like someone to pray for... 
ask them to pray for you. If not, just break bread and remember the goodness of God and thank him for what he did. Because these elements represent that moment where Jesus died for us. What the law was powerless to do, Jesus did. That's why it's a point of celebration. So I'm going to pray, then we're going to break bread, and then once, that's fin- we, once you're finished, you can make your way through to tea and coffee and collect your children. But Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace and your love and acceptance for us. Lord, that there's nothing that we have to do to prove that we are worthy because Jesus has done it all. I thank you, God, that you do not treat us as we deserve, but you give us what we don't. Even today, you don't treat us according to what we've done. Thank you that we have the freedom to live in Jesus. And I thank you, God, that you love us too much to leave us in the state we're in. But by your grace and the power of your spirit, you help us to become more and more like Jesus. Lord, I pray that for each one of us today, we would have a fresh revelation of the freedom that we have through the grace of God to live as you've called us to live by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.